we are recording. So hello, everyone. Welcome. Good morning. Well, good morning for us. It's at my yeah. afternoon. Could be 3 a.m. wherever you are. Um, thank you for joining us. My name is Adam Cross. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California and a youth minister. And and Daniel is no longer an AM. <laughs> I am no longer an associate. I have, uh, as of December 31st, officially been licensed by the state of California. So I have, what is it, two years to get continuing education credits, I guess, and get relicensed. So a yes. whole other stage of the journey begins. So here it's we go. Very, very exciting. We could probably do a whole nother episode just on the exam and getting licensed and what we think about that. <laughs> The, um, the exam is an interesting, an interesting thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. A little bit of a mystery there. So cool. But today we are going to talk a little bit about um, psychology and sin. And I was kind of explaining to Daniel and I didn't really preface it for him either <laughs> where we were going, but kind of an encounter I had in youth ministry with a team who, um, you know, we were actually giving um, a youth night on pornography, right? And um, so we were talking about that and, you know, what that experience is like in people who might be addicted, people who might be struggling with that, um, people who might be weighed down by the shame of it as well in trying to stop using porn. Um, and so I had a teen come to me actually a couple of days after and, and his response to me was really interesting. And he said, I'm surprised you didn't talk more about how bad of a sin it was. Right. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. Right. Cause in my head, I'm like, okay, I, I know, I know it's a mortal sin. And as a therapist, I experience a lot of people struggling with this as like a deep shame with it. And so my inclination is to not focus or not, not maybe not even focus, but not even dwell too much. Like, you know, you sinned, right. <laughs> Cause it's usually people are struggling with it. And that really brought me to kind of this, you know, something we see or hear maybe uh, within our faith versus psychology is that psychology can be stereotyped or at times really um, kind of psychologize away any sin in the therapy process. And as a Catholic therapist, that's not my experience. Um, but I kind of wanted us to talk about that and get your, you know, thoughts on that, Daniel. and you know, toss around what does sin look like? So that that therapy. really um, probably in some ways gets to the most practical difference between a Catholic psychologist and any other psychologist. I, it, it probably in a very practical way, it is the difference I experience most often, I mm. think. Um, and, and it's this question of what is the Catholics, and I'll just be broad, whether therapist or client, but what is the Catholics understanding of um, and reaction to shame as opposed mm -hmm. to um, any other person? And because and, there's any variety of possible reactions you can have. So I, I think that's, um, and what's fascinating is your example, the the example of pornography is really, really, um, I think probably the most difficult place for this question of what is the role of shame in therapy? Mm -hmm. um, what is the role? Because St. Thomas very clearly 
um, when he's talking about how to overcome lust, he says you need two things. And I can never remember the second one, but the first <laughs> one is so shocking. He says you need to be ashamed. You need to experience shame about this um, hmm. in order to overcome it. Or probably, and it's been three or four years since I read the article. I should reread it. Um, uh, but probably he's talking to the point of having motivation to overcome mm. the behavior. And, and that's, the, I, I actually prefer um, in this rare instance, I actually prefer the, the secular language of behavior as opposed to sin or habit mm. or virtue, because um, at some point, shame becomes counterproductive um, and so there's this cycle that gets talked about with a lot of behavior that, um, especially something as secretive as pornography use, um, you know, I'm using it to relieve anxiety or stress or feeling of guilt or shame, and then I feel shame, and then I use mm -hmm. it again to relieve that. And there's, I'm sure there's other parts of that cycle there, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's my experience that with this behavior, most of all, um, shame gets in the way of productive change. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's your experience. I think it's a necessary start for change, um, yeah. but I think it, making it you know, more pronounced than it needs to be is counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I've, I've seen that too within Catholic language that, and it might even be translations as well, is that, there is <clears throat> sometimes a confusion between shame and guilt. Um, and going back to scripture, going back to Genesis, right? The first sin, what happens? They're naked and they're ashamed, right? And that's kind of this glimpse of, of that brokenness, that initial brokenness that God didn't call them to be naked or ashamed, <laughs> right? Um, and so I think when it comes to sin, it is you know, maybe there is a, a healthy shame or I would say guilt about the behavior, right? Of this, you know, the behavior can be wrong. The behavior um, is sinful, right? Whether, you know, and you, I hear, I hear that line too with addiction. It's okay. Well, I've lost control. So, you know, when we're thinking of mortal sins, right? It's full consent, full consent, full knowledge, uh, grave matter. But in addiction, now we've lost consent, right? We've lost control. Now I'm addicted. That line can be confusing, right? Um, but I think, you know, it does go back to, okay, this, even if I've lost control, this is still a grave matter, right? Now, I think the, the reassuring part for us is that we don't have to judge people's hearts, <laughs> right? Even as therapists, like, you know, oh, you're a bad person, right? That's not for us to say. Um, so we can say, you know what, this behavior is sinful. This behavior is bad. Um, but we're going to leave the judging of hearts to God, um, you know, kind of still put that in his realm. So I think it helps to separate maybe shame and the guilt out a little bit. So guilt about bad behavior is healthy. Um, we can go to the other end where we have guilt about good behavior, which is scrupulosity, which I see a lot. But I think, um, you know, Fulton Sheen does a good job of, you know, in a lot of his videos, Life is Worth Living, he talks about modern psychology 
versus kind of a Catholic view of that, that modern psychology can just say, you're, you're the sum of your experiences. You're the sum of your nature versus nurture. And you don't really have free will when it comes down to it. Like, Oh, you use porn. Oh, that's just because the, you know, there's these circumstances and you're just kind of stuck there. So it's not really your fault. So don't worry about it. Where the Catholic approach is we have that Catholic anthropology, a Catholic lens and say, you know, these are your circumstances. Yes. These influence it, but we don't give up the free will <laughs> and the behavior can still be sinful. It can be, it's still, well, I think, I think the free will is the, um, the acknowledgement of free will is the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt yeah. is, um, about those things that I have chosen where shame is, um, you know, a negative emotion about those things. I don't necessarily have full consent mm. about, um, I think that would be, I mean, this is one of those, those, um, common places in the psychotherapeutic practice to kind of differentiate shame and guilt. And, yeah. um, on one level, they're the same cause they're, they're a negative emotion about something I've done, mm -hmm. but I think the difference is there I've done and chosen versus I've done and not chosen. Yeah. I think it's probably the most useful distinction there. I don't, mm -hmm. I might be missing something. It's, it's not something I think a whole lot about. Um, I usually let the clients use the word they want to use. Um, there, there's this, I remember in grad school, my goodness, um, there were some professors who could not go, you know, 10 minutes without trying to correct your usage of words. And then on the other hand, they tell you there's no right or wrong, you know? Um, so there's this hyper, you know, precision, mm -hmm. quote unquote, on one hand, but then this, you know, total freedom on another. Mm -hmm. So um, even though I I try my best to be a cranky Thomist, I I don't fight people's choice of word very often. But I think that's an important distinction in and of itself. Namely, um, did I you know how culpable am I for this one individual instance of pornography use versus another? You know mm -hmm. that that isn't for the therapist to discern. Um, and in fact, it's. It wastes a lot of time to try to discern that with a client because yeah. what you're focused on is, you know, yeah, maybe resolving some of these causes back here, but you're really concerned about over here trying to um, make a change here in the present. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's lots of ways to go about that, even, even with this behavior. Yeah. So on one level, you know, kicking up all the reasons why I should be ashamed, I think it's good to get you started in making mm -hmm. a change. But once you've started down that path, I think it becomes counterproductive. And so, um, you know, when I work with clients, I around this issue in particular, um, well, yeah, I, I almost, I mean, I give clients total freedom in their expression of their spiritual life, but I almost encourage them or encourage would be too strong of a word. I, am comfortable, let's put that, with clients almost taking a break from, uh, you know, confession for a little while. Mm. Um, I even go that far to say, yeah. you know, right now the goal is um, to make a concrete change in your life. And if we're mm. constantly bringing back up the shame, and this is probably more true actually of my clients with OCD or some yeah. kind of exaggerated um, mm -hmm. sense of guilt, that, you know, in this context between you and me, our goal is to make a concrete change in your life. And then we can 
you know, be mm-hmm. right with God and, and not have that whole emotional cycle that goes mm-hmm. along with confession. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's probably a giant can of worms, but that's, kind of, <laughs> that's kind of the practical, that is a practical way that I go about not, mm-hmm. you know, um, over-exaggerating the yeah. guilt that people or the shame that people experience. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wait, you don't want us to go to confession? How Catholic are you? No, <laughs> it, no, 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 no. It no, is, no. it is, I understand that because it, when, you know, Daniel and I are working with scrupulosity, what we're specifically hearing a lot is that people go to confession um, as pretty much out of a compulsion, out of an anxiety, right? So it might be, I, I just remembered a sin I committed when I was 13. And I don't think, I don't think I've said it in confession. So I'm going to confess that or, you know, I don't think I did exactly right. And so confession becomes not a place of mercy, but a place of fear and a place of legalism, right? So when we do say it might be, I'm going to not run to confession, it's actually, so we're building a better practice of, of true repentance and, and being aware of that emotional cycle that you're saying, but I really, yeah, like in some freedom. ways it's a misuse of the sacrament probably to approach. Exactly. That yeah. Um, Which yeah. if you're scrupulous and listening, you're like, Oh no, I just misused the sacrament. <laughs> so, so this is why there's, you know, a lot of patience is needed and a lot of mercy. Well, and, and this is the problem. <laughs> this is the problem with any, um, with any podcast or YouTube channel is that we are speaking in broad brush strokes. Yeah. And again, yeah. we're not discerning the intimate motions of people's hearts in your relationship with God. Um, yeah. That's, that's very much above our pay grade, so to speak. <laughs> um, so many podcasts to cover. All right, it would. <laughs> and, and to address every individual, but you're right, mm-hmm. Adam, to, to caution me there about, um, uh, adding to our clients' burdens about um, around scrupulosity. The point with scrupulosity is ultimately, you know, you're going to need a therapist, but also a spiritual director through that struggle. Mm-hmm. You're going to need somebody to help you discern these things. Um, yeah. I tend to try to focus on, you know, behavioral changes with clients and then understanding or cognitive changes around their use of the yeah. sacraments and those kind of things. Um, yeah. So anyways, yes, to, to nuance all of that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. there we go. But, but I, I like your piece on the free will being the difference between shame and guilt when it comes to sin. Because, and although I talk to my clients about this all the time, I have not made that connection. And so this is why this is awesome. Because, you know, I think guilt is when we're saying, I've done this wrong, right? I recognize that there's something wrong, that there's a sin. I want to correct it. Um, and so there's that free will aspect, but I think shame becomes when we internalize that guilt, right? So it's like, I have done something wrong, therefore I am wrong, or this is now part of my identity, or this is something, like you said, that I don't have control over. Um, and so that can be really kind of devastating because then we connect with that sin. Like I am a porn user. I am an adult or I am a lot, you know, a lustful man, you know? So I think that is an important distinction. And, you know, our faith says the opposite of, of identifying with that sin, that, that Christ came to free us, you know, from, from that identity in death. Um, 
And so I think going back to sin within psychology and the therapy process that, you know, we can both, and this is the, this is the tricky part, but I think it's the important part. We can both look and name and even judge, right? Convict those sinful behaviors that are offenses to God and to his law of love and also understand what influences us and brings us to make those choices. Um, that doesn't have to be one or the other. Like, nope, you sinned, that's it. Don't make excuses. It's like, no, I sinned. And so what, what led me to this, right? And, and how is God going to respond to me versus maybe how will I respond to myself? Well, and, and that would be the opposite mistake, right? There's the one mistake of... Um, I have all these circumstances in my life and therefore I behaved a certain way and I'm not culpable. Then there's the opposite extreme. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I did this thing. So therefore I'm totally culpable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this, this gets to a really important point about um, human volition. It, it, there are degrees of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we could give a thousand examples. Like, I mean, this, the cell phone I just picked up because somebody, because it lit up. Um, <laughs> yeah. There was very little thought process involved in that other than mm-hmm. after I did it, I thought, oh, that's going to look awkward on a video. Um, <laughs> so that's going to be a terrible thing for a therapist to look I like. I never noticed. I never noticed. <laughs> good, good. Um, and then, um, you know, then there are those things which I have to do, like the editing I have to do later today on my own mm-hmm. podcast. That takes lots of deliberate execution over a long yeah. period of time. And um, so th- there are degrees of human volition or mm-hmm. it's yeah, various types of strength or, or intensity required um, yeah. to execute different things. And, and that's true. And, and biologically there's some truth to that. You know, the myelin sheath around the nerve endings mm. of our brains, you know, they make it so we do things automatically or muscle memory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whole that's point, how addictions. Yeah. Well, okay. and, and virtue too, that's kind of the point yeah. of the <laughs> is to, um, is to make good things to, to misuse a Freudian phrase, to make good things unconscious activity, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to make it automatic so that I mm-hmm. just easily do good things without much, you know, resistance. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's important to be aware that, you know, mo- what is it? I'm trying to remember. Aristotle has like four stages of the strength of our will. And most of us are somewhere in the middle, you know, usually struggling to do good things, but 50% of the time doing good things. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, But it's a struggle. Um, (laughs) So, so yeah, it's, it's important to be aware that especially in therapy, um, maybe less so in the confessional, but especially in therapy to be aware of, um, what's the catchphrase? This is a process, you know, it takes mm-hmm. some time. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's hard or maybe impossible to be sinning all of the time. <laughs> and for people who are struggling with OCD and scrupulosity, it can feel like that. It can feel like to speak to that audience, it can feel like everything I'm doing is wrong, right? I have intrusive thoughts and therefore I'm just constantly sinning where that's very difficult. And I would debate impossible to do. Um, 
And I think even, you know, something I, I go back to with my clients is even, okay, what is a mortal sin, right? Like we said, it's the, you know, I, I know that this is wrong. Um, a lot of people out there doing terrible stuff that, <laughs> you know, well, they have natural law, they have an understanding, but some people don't know, oh, that thing I just did. Yeah, that was not good for me, right? Then there's free consent, right? Am I freely choosing this thing? Um, so again, when we're talking about addiction, especially that's, that's where it's hard. Um, and then grave matter, right? So when we are looking at our lives, it is important to go back to what does the church teach on this? What makes something that, you know, that I'm consciously turning it back to God. Um, and again, it's looking, I can look at, okay, this is a bad behavior. This is a sin. This is something I, I don't want to do. Right. Because I love God. And I can still look at what made it easier. Like you said, building those habits. Is it something that's building a habit of destruction of sin or is it building a habit of virtue? And how do I even get help with that? You know, that's where therapy comes in. Spiritual direction comes in that, you know, how can I build habits of virtue? And I think, you know, it is important to look at all these things and, and understand why we're doing what we're doing, which I think we've talked about before, but it, all of this is through a Catholic lens. And, and I, I know we've experienced it, that it's hard to be sinning all the time. <laughs> and when it comes to certain things like OCD, scrupulosity, sexual addiction, um, you know, even struggling with lust, um, any type of, especially sexual around sexuality, that, that Catholic lens is so important in the context of therapy. Because there are certain things that Catholic therapists will say, this is not a good thing. <laughs> Where another therapist might say, oh, that's, that's totally up to you, right? So that, I think that context really does help that Catholic therapy is going to acknowledge the person and be able to acknowledge the sin and maybe even more importantly, separate and draw that line between the two. Well, and I, I think um, the, the commonplace adage of, you know, rather than I'm a person, I'm a fornicator, um, better to say I'm someone who uh, occasionally engages in fornication. You know, you want to <laughs> do this um, yeah. uh, verbal even separation mm -hmm. of yourself from the, the activity, from the sin, as it were, from the behavior that you don't desire. Um, because especially for those with OCD, and, and I know you and I work with a lot of that clientele, um, it's important that you don't over-identify um, over your will, your act of the will with your behavior or with the things mm -hmm. that you do because not everything is within your control. And even more importantly, you don't want to over identify with the things that happen to you. And this would be the intrusive thoughts, yeah. which come, you know, the classic description is these are thoughts I didn't elicit. I didn't choose. Um, and, and so lots of people with OCD get really concerned about, well, did I entertain it for too long? Did I let it stay? Did mm. I agree to it? Did I have a good feeling about it? Did I, you know, want to follow through with it? Did I imagine the next best thing? Um, and so it's really important to build within yourself a, a habit of distinguishing between the self, the, the mm -hmm. act of the will, and 
you know, the, the various internal phenomena, you know, mm-hmm. um, dreams are probably a better example than intrusive thoughts. We never, ever, ever um, attribute uh, sin to the content of your dreams. Yeah. Never. Because there is no act of the will. In fact, that's kind of what one of the distinguishing characteristics of a dream is that there is no consistent act of the will. I know people are going to jump in and talk about um, uh, whatever that, the kind of dreaming where you can make decisions. Lucid, lucid, lucid dreaming. Right. Yeah. But, but it's, it's not consistent. It's not, mm-hmm. and, and more importantly, the context of the dream, you know, the fact that you're in a particular room is never a choice. It's the, what do mm-hmm. I do once I'm in the context of the dream yeah. that becomes the, the object of volition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that, yeah. yeah, I think that's a good comparison to our thoughts too, that kind of like our dreams, our thoughts really can be neutral. Um, and you know, we do at get least, to choose the, at least the first, at least the first yes. moments. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah. The fact that they spring up, they that's pop into our head. Yeah. Or, yeah. or even that they're the consequence of things around us, which is really the importance mm-hmm. of a good environment. Uh, you can't see it here, but you know, I've got icons and, and books and mm-hmm. cigar humidors all reminding <laughs> me of, of important people and activities. Um, so, you know, the fact that I think about my dad when I look at the humidor, you know, that's kind of the reason it's there. It's, yeah. meant, to, it's meant to elicit that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I, um, hearkening back to certain high school dorm rooms I wandered through, if I had pictures of girls on the walls, it would be a different story. I yeah. created the environment so that there, that thought would be elicited, right? Exactly. Um, but that it, first it, moment of the thought, yeah. that's very much beyond our choice. Mm-hmm. 90% of the, in, yeah. Other than approximately setting it up, like with objects and things like that mm-hmm. in our environment. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, within the, the big picture of sin and psychology, um, modern day psychology, I think not explicitly, but is, is more inclined to lead towards sin really isn't on the table. We're not going to talk about that. Um, we're not really going to go there because why, you know, it doesn't really matter through the Catholic lens of psychology and, and, and therapy. And I love Fulton Sheen cause I think he does a good job of kind of diving into that, seeing that, that contrast is that Catholic therapy might not really dive into, like you said, the verbiage of sin as much, but it's still through that lens of, we understand this isn't good. <laughs> and the client usually always understands, you know, some caveats there that, Hey, I don't want to be doing this thing. And so there's this common ground of we are this action, this behavior is missing the mark. Right. And so we're striving to live a better life. And, and then part of that therapy process is, you know, what we've been saying, separating ourselves from our behavior, separating ourselves from the act of the will that, Hey, I'm, you know, St. Paul, I'm doing these things I don't want to be doing. Right. So we are able to look at that, separate those out, understand it and, and make changes like you're saying, and also be relying on God's grace because we can't fight sin without God, right? We need, we need God. Otherwise we're, we're still broken. (laughs) So, I mean, you use all the right language there. This, this language of missing the mark is the origin of the word for sin. And I think that's um, 
I think that's profoundly important because for so many of us, sin, just the word sin, conjures up um, lots of emotions of being separated from God or images of being separated from God, of losing a relationship with someone important to us, of, you know, what do I do if people find out about this? Um, it, it, it brings up all these consequences of, of sin that overwhelm us. But sin is much simpler than that. It's simply not hitting the bullseye, as it were, of our, of our, of our intention, of what yeah. our reason knows to be the right thing to do. And in some sense, um, this kind of levels out what, I mean, it, it, sin ought to have a much lower emotional intensity because in one way, in, in the most broad sense of that word, to contradict what you said earlier, we kind of are sinning all the time. Uh, <laughs> in the sense that, in, in the very simple sense that, um, we are often slightly off of the perfect expression of our intention. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, like, like this yeah. silly... Sh- like this silly moment right here, you know, I could have better lighting in this room. So in a, <laughs> in a, in a, in a very simple sense, you know, mm-hmm. it's not grave matter. You know, God, God isn't mad at me because the YouTube video isn't perfect. Uh, you know, but in a very simple sense, I have missed the mark here. Mm. Um, and so I, in one sense, I like to bring that up in order to lower the, the, um, how overwhelming sin is because in the broadest sense of the term, it's going on all the time. And that's almost a function of us being creatures Mm -hmm. of matter because matter is always slightly off the mark. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially individual instances. So, but that's fine on one sense. So, but on the other hand, we, because of our act of the will, because of our, our, the gift of the will, we have an opportunity to really address how we do things and how we structure things and how we um, approach the mark. And yeah, you're right. Typical psychology out there, pop psychology out there, or, or your run of the mill is going to at least verbally deny that there is sin while at the same time trying to help you make change in your life. So, um, you know, you don't need to change, but here's what we're going to work. <laughs> right, right. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. There's nothing bad. It's just, if mm-hmm. you want to make a change, we can, you know, yeah. do that. Um, and, and so tacitly, they're already admitting that very low level of mm-hmm. sin of just missing the mark. Yeah. Um, and in a way, this kind of lower level of sin is, is where a lot of obsessive compulsives get hung up because, mm-hmm they want to be confident that they have done something perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, and so you get these situations where they're doing a good thing, they're doing it mostly right, but there's one or two little diminishments. And yeah. it's almost always something as circumstantial as how people received or understood the action, which is so far beyond our ability to control that it's maddening to, well, literally maddening to even think about. Um, mm-hmm. and to obsess over. So it's really important to be aware that, you know, 
doing a good thing, but not doing it as perfectly as I could, or not doing it as perfectly as it might be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I might have done it as perfectly as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and God's perfectly happy with that and, and you know, delights in it. Yeah. Um, but it's really important to, um, I, I think, you know, that phrase of missing the mark is really important because that's the etymology of the word sin is to mm-hmm. miss your bullseye. Yeah. Um, but you're still on the target. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. you still hit the target. Um, heck, if, for most venial sins, at least you shot in the direction of the target. Um, it, <laughs> yeah. It's when you turn around and shoot behind you. Go the other way. That's where you're committing mortal sin. So, you know, there, there's lots of, of... That's a good visual. <laughs> I, I, you you I turn around and shoot at the instructor. I like that. That's, you're totally that's you're going the wrong mortal sin, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> but, yeah. You've got, you know, what is it, 180 degrees to mess with here, and sometimes yeah. you, you miss the one you need. So. Yeah, and I, I like that you said that because, you know, we are fallen, right? We have the fallen nature that we are missing the mark of God's original intention for us with Adam and Eve, right? That we, they fell, now, you know, we get that passed down to us, and so we are not, we are not what we are intended to be. Um, that being said, you know, and I realize we could, we probably should distinguish and maybe this is a a two-parter, right? Between venial sin and mortal sin. Like you said, we're, we're, we're throwing at the dartboard. We're not quite on the bullseye. We're in the general area, but it's not perfect as we're called to be or made to be. Um, God's okay with that. He's giving us the grace to, to help us towards that. Um, but but yeah, mortal sin is, we're not, we're not constantly in mortal sin. We're not constantly turning around shooting, you know, but, but we're not perfect. I mean, spoiler alert for anybody. <laughs> we're not perfect. And so I think a part of that, which, which is really good to, to have a therapist to go through these things with a spiritual director is what changes can I make? How can I even more so rely on the grace of God, the sacraments, how can I build those habits to build virtue and to avoid the near occasions of sin, right? Um, all of that takes a process, takes a lot of patience, takes a lot of faith and trust, you know, as, as these things come up. And there is no blanket statement for these, you know, oh, how, where was the line in my thoughts? Can you tell me exactly where I sin? You know, there's no simple answer for just everybody, um, I think, but but that's where therapy in this process really comes in. Um, and I know kind of wrapping it up today, you know, if you do need a good Catholic therapist, if you are looking to acknowledge the sins, but not condemn your personhood to, to look for good Catholic therapists, catholictherapist.com or Catholic psychotherapist association has a really good directory as well. Um, but I think that kind of wraps up and maybe we could even do a, a two parter, because part of, you know, sin that's coming up for me is like healing and confession and, you know, forgiveness happening in the confessional, but extending that after the confessional in the healing process with therapy, that might be a good place to go. Or we could just distinguish sin more because we, we kind of only touched upon mortal versus venial. So um, maybe we can do a follow-up. But. Yeah. It's an interesting thing among Catholics, you know, the minute, unlike, other psychotherapists, the minute we admit of the possibility of sin, 
there's lots of distinctions that can be made, but there's also, um, you know, I, I paint that kind of grim picture. We're always sinning in some, <laughs> in some very reduced sense of the term, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, that also means that God is always forgiving us and his mercy mm. and his grace is much more abundant than we even imagine. Mm. Um, than we That's even beautiful. Yeah. And, well, it, it's, it's, it puts the drama in our spiritual life, you know, it, it, yeah. it makes it much more valuable than, well, I, I told him about this. I told him about that. All right. I'll go play video games. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it makes, you know, every moment of our life uh, pregnant with grace. Um, mm. Wow. You know, so it's, it's, it's really important. Um, awesome. So anyways, yes. Another yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. So Daniel, where can people find you if they want more of, of your content? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my website, Daniel MFT, marriage family therapist, Daniel MFT.com. You can sign up for my email list there. And if you do, you will get a free ebook um, about how to find a Catholic therapist. Um, I give some five simple tips about how, and I give a little explanation about why you should look for one. Um, and of course, if you ever need help with that, uh, given the local circumstances of your concerns or your area, uh, shoot me an email and I'm happy to uh, get in touch with you about that. Awesome. So DanielMFT.com. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. And like always, if you have any questions, comments, please comment them below somewhere down there, hit that like button, that subscribe button, wherever they are. I always appreciate comments and being able to interact with, with people who are watching and connect with people. So thank you again. Um, and yeah, if you have any topic ideas as well, we'd love to hear those too. So thank you all and God bless.